The following program contains content not suitable for younger audiences. Every day, ordinary people live in extraordinary lives. For the next few minutes, join me as I introduce you to some of them. People will, will, will say, how, how could you possibly stand up in front of 500 people and read that? Because of the connections you make. I'm B. Moore, and welcome to 52 Conversations. As a teenager, I performed in the Embarium Bale Theater on the campus of Kent State University in plays that focused on the works of Langston Hughes and other influential figures of the Harlem Renaissance. My next guest is a writer whose works also reflect on the African-American experience. My name is Jackie Warren Moore. I'm a freelance writer. I live in Syracuse, New York. I write poetry and plays and a newspaper column. And my work is published nationally and internationally. I just had my third book out in November. I'm a mother, a grandmother, a wife, and a community activist. I love my community and I love acting in my community. Wonderful. Well, welcome to 52 Conversations, Jackie. I really appreciate your presence here. And by the way, I just want you to know that you are actually my first artist. Oh, okay. That's quite an honor. Thank you. And I know that this is your first podcast, so right. it's my honor to do that podcast. Well, thank you again. So I wondered, you know, over the course of the years and the work that you've done, what has inspired you to write? What inspires you to write? Well, I first started writing out of fear, out of fear. We lived in, I was born in Syracuse, and we moved when I was four to Elmira, New York. And my family, my mother sent my sister and I to a white Catholic school. We lived in our black neighborhood, but we had to walk through our black neighborhood into this white neighborhood and to go to this Catholic school. And it was frightening. It wasn't the friendliest place. So I started writing, or even before I knew how to write, I started imagining and creating in my head, you know, a song to the trees and, you know, and a poem for the flowers and whatever. And doing it in my head to keep me from being so freaked out, you know, by walking through this community that wasn't very friendly. And as I started to learn to, to, to write, to the mechanics of writing, I just began writing, and, and, and I've been doing it ever since. And there's so much that inspires me. My community activism inspires a, a lot of my poetry and just ordinary feelings. You know, my mother used to tell me that there's no new feelings under the sun. And that's true. Everything I've ever felt, you already have felt or will feel in everyone else because we're all human beings. We all have those, those feelings, good and bad. And when you share them in poetry, you make connections with other human beings. And you can speak about what's good in the world and celebrate what's good in the world. And you can stand up and speak out about what's wrong and what we need to do to fix it. So that's how I use my writing. Wonderful. And, you know, this had to be a progression. I mean, you wrote through your formative years, obviously. And where did you reach the point where you decided that you wanted to really make this into a way of life or a career for yourself? Well, I think it was probably before I went to college. I, 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 my, my major was English and drama. And I, I, don't, I, I think it was before, but I did a lot of writing in college as well. 
And I think one of the things that inspired me is in college I was taking a writing course and it was called a creative writing course. And when I went to the first class, one of the assignments was to write a poem, Anglo-Saxon prosody is the, the form. And I said to the instructor, I can't do that. And he said, why can't you do it? And I said, first of all, I'm not Anglo-Saxon. And I said, and as soon as you impose this upon me and say, you must write Anglo-Saxon prosody, it ticks me off because I'm not. And I feel my creativity is as big as this room. And here you are telling me I have to take all of me and compact it into some tiny little form, and I'm going to rebel against that. I'm, I have an immediate reaction to that. And that, you know, spun off. I failed the course. <laughs> and I had to take the course again, but it was a, a real eye-opening situation for me because I realized that I didn't want anyone to censor my feelings and my creativity. You know, now you can disagree with me, and that's fine, because if you disagree, we can talk. We can talk and, and talk things out, but I wasn't going to let anybody tell me that I had to speak a certain way or not speak about something. So that, that was, I think, probably what inspired me most to say, I'll do other things, you know, because I, I did other jobs, but my career, my mission, if you will, is writing. Certainly. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's interesting because that has to do with identity, and it sounds like just coming up in an African-American family, but coming up in a, an environment right. that basically you have a different identity imposed upon you, uh, I'm suggesting or thinking, you had to really develop an identity. You came up during the Civil Rights Movement. That's right. So yeah. I know that was really an important piece. But you know, one of the aspects of, of coming up, even in the Civil Rights Movement, was that this notion that the black experience is one-dimensional. And we know that it really isn't. It's multi-dimensional. So my question to you is, what aspects of the African-American experience as you were in those formative years developing in Elmira, New York, did you latch on to and help to shape your work? Well, I mean, I mentioned the Catholic school and, and some of the most profound racism that I've experienced in my life I experienced in, <laughs> in Elmira in the Catholic uh, school and church. And I mean, I certainly ran into the, to, to that kind of stuff. And that helps, as sad as it is, it helps form your, your identity. And I already mentioned just wanting to fight back against being categorized, you know, and marginalized. And my writing helps do that in every aspect of my life. It, it does. My mother was an activist and just spoke up for what she believed was right in, in every occasion. And I think, I think that's something all of us have to do, is, is recognize, you know, recognize what's right, celebrate it, and speak up and, and, and resist. And so I, I, I managed to do that, you know, literally holding on to my mother's coattails, you know, going for meetings and, and different things. In, in the 60s here, there was an organization called the Crusade for Opportunity. It was uh, an anti-poverty program, like one, of, one of those. But it was very, very effective in, in Syracuse because community people got behind it and they were managing millions of dollars and making a difference in the community. The Community Health Center is a product of that. The early uh, Head Start was a product of that. And these were ordinary women. These were not educated, super, you know, educated women. These were ordinary sisters, you know, who had families, like my mother, 
you know, and I saw people working and doing things, and it was, you know, an inspiration, you know, and just saying, this is what you have to do, this is how you have to live your life in service to your community, because you live here, it's yours, you know. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, some of your work in terms of the poetry, and I, I want to definitely okay. talk about the theater, too. Okay. And I'm suspecting that the poetry came first, and then you kind of branched out into writing the, uh, theatrical works, or how did well, that... Well, the, the poetry came first. Um, the first play um, I co-wrote with, with a, a friend in college in Oswego State, and there's not a lot of difference you know, in writing, I mean, different genres. I mean, there are people who say, oh, no, I only write this. Well, I like to dibble and dabble. I write poetry, and there are stories to tell that go, like a, a poem is like a snapshot, okay? And then there's the, the backstory to it, you know, maybe the play, you know, and then further, further back, there's a historical aspect. So there's a lot of different components to one little creative piece. So it started with the poetry, it grew into plays, and again, into one of my plays is called Freedom Stone, the Jerry Rescue Story, that is about an actual historical event that happened here in Syracuse in 1851. And so it's, it's telling the stories and, and celebrating, celebrating the history, celebrating the history and celebrating the people who stood up. So I know that you had brought a couple of pieces that Mm -hmm. you would like to read. And let's talk a little bit about the book. You have a new book yeah. that just came out last year. Well, Tell us a little bit about that book. Okay, well the title of it is Where I Come From. And I'll read you a couple poems from it in, in a minute, but um, it's my third book of poetry. And I'm, I'm pleased with this one. It's gotten some good reviews and people have liked, you know, said that they, they like what, you know, what, I, what I've written. It's, it's uh, I don't know, I forget how many poems there are in here. 64 poems. <laughs> okay. So there's a bunch of poems in, in, in there. And it ranges from political poetry to very, very personal stuff. But again, poetry does just that for you. Hmm. And how many <clears throat> poems have you written over the course of oh, time? <laughs> oh, thousands. I mean, literally thousands. I mean, I, I wish I had some of the earliest ones. I don't, you know, but I, I certainly have a, a lot. But I, I, like I said, I've been writing them ever since I could begin to write. So there's, there's a lot of them. Nice. So what do you discuss in your poetry? I mean, I know that you mentioned a lot of the different themes, but let me ask you a little bit more specifics in terms of some of the things that you get into. When, when okay. You... Well, I'm a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, and so I write about that. I have noticed the shift in the country, the lack of civility. The first poem in this book is, is one called on the, on the Occasion of the Passing of Civility. So I write about that. Again, again with, with, with poetry, a poet's job is to point something out, is to take a moment and freeze it and give it to your reader. And you do that, obviously, with imagery and metaphor and all the rest of that. But you take this moment and you give it to somebody and say, here, Look at this. Look at this flower. Look at this incident that happened. Look, look at this and examine it for yourself because maybe you can connect with it as another human being. And that's what poetry does. And so there is no aspect that you cannot write about. You can write about your sadness. You know, you can write about a bad relationship. You can write about a good relationship. You can talk, write about the love of family. You know, you can write about the stuff that you want to rail against, you know, the advocacy stuff. You, there's nothing you cannot write about. 
and again, the whole object is of writing is to connect with other human beings. And so my work runs a gamut, the gamut of all human feeling. Wonderful. What would you say, because you talk about the objective of poetry in terms of being able to connect with another human being. So when do those moments happen for you and when has been some of the most profound moments that that has happened where you know that you have, through your work, been able to identify through somebody, maybe somebody close and maybe somebody that you never met? Okay. Well, there's a poem. It's called Death Wish for Uncle Joe. It is published nationally and internationally. It is my most single most published poem and my single most widely read poem. I have personally read that poem to thousands of people. I was doing a reading at Syracuse University. This was a number of years ago. And when I finished the reading, this young man, who happened to be a football player, SU football player, big ba-boom-boom boom, linebacker type, comes up to me and he, after the reading and he says, Miss Jackie, where do I begin? And as soon as he said that, I knew exactly what he was talking about. So I told him, you begin at the beginning. You begin to write. It's hard because you may have to re-experience or re-feel some very, very difficult feelings. But you begin and you write and you tell your story. So I gave him my card and I said, you know, if you want to talk about it some more, you know, give me a call. Well, I didn't hear from him. What I saw him, I was walking in Thornton Park about two years later and we were coming towards each other. And as he's walking to me, he's reaching in his back pocket, taking out his wallet. So by the time he gets to me, he opens his wallet and he shows me my card still in his wallet. And he said, Miss Jackie, I haven't forgotten what you said. He said, no, I'm, I'm working on it in my head and, and I'm going to do it. So I said, okay, well, you want to talk to me, blah, blah, blah. And about two months later, I opened the Sunday paper and he was a two-page spread of this young man talking about being abused as a young boy, talking about by a stepfather talking about being abused, burnt on his stomach with cigarettes and beaten and all kinds of horrible stuff. But the power in that is if there were some other person somewhere who had not addressed or, or began to speak about the things done to them, the power of this big strong man saying this is what was done to me and this is what I've done to survive and thrive that, you know. and and. That's powerful. Every time I read that poem, I'll look out into the audience and I'll say, that person knows my pain. That person knows my pain. That person knows my pain. And it's healing for me. It's healing for me to write it and recite it, but it's also healing for other people who have dealt with that or are trying to deal with, with some of that because it's a, it's, it's a terrible situation that people don't want to talk about. Those people can begin to, to their own healing with that. It's, it's wonderful to see that, to see your work make a difference in someone else's life. Well, I'd love to hear Okay. Uncle Joe. Death Wish, what, do you want me to read it now? Sure, okay. sure. So, reading glasses on here. Okay. Death Wish for Uncle Joe. Had luck been with me, you would have died 10 minutes before I met you. Your soft brown eyes and loving touch made me believe my father had come back from the dead. God had realized his mistake and returned him to me. You laughed with his laugh. The same spring brook chuckled an all-encompassing hug. Yours was the first penis I had ever seen, pulsing in purple, a demon unzipped, a drop of fluid at its eye, mouth, 
my ten-year-old mind not knowing if it was weeping or drooling as it pointed accusingly at me. Trust me, you said. It's all right, speaking with my father's voice. All the wrongness of it whispered in a voice I longed to hear. If only you hadn't held me with my long-dead father's arms. If only I hadn't needed to be held so badly. If only I had known it was all right to wish you dead. If only it hadn't taken me 20 years to voice the shame of it, to speak of the not-all-rightness. If only you had died 10 minutes before you forcibly entered my life. And people will, will, will say, how, how could you possibly stand up in front of 500 people and read that? Because of the connections you make. Because of the connections and the healing that comes from talking about stuff that sometimes people don't want to talk about. People know about stuff, but they don't want to talk about it because it's too painful. You know, but it's only when you do talk about it that the healing can begin on my side and anyone else's. And that's what poetry does because, again, poetry takes that little painful nugget and freezes it in time and shows people. It shows people it's, it's survivable to talk about it, to deal with, with the issue. How can it not touch somebody's heart just listening to that, you know, and know that that's somebody's experience that you're speaking right. from your personal experience and in the hopes that that will reach out and touch somebody else and help them to deal with the pain of theirs that's right that's that's commendable one and just really heart touching you know so i appreciate you reading that thank you tell me about some of the other work that you write well, um, other poems? Sure. Okay, there's the one, um, it's called On the Occasion of the Passing of Civility. Do you want me to read that one? Sure. Well, you know, I think that's very apropos. So let's talk a little bit about the, the appropriateness of it in this day and age. Oh. Because, you know, I, I think about the civil rights movement, uh -huh. the arts in particular. Oh, yes. Creativity was, even in spite of all of the chaos that was taking place around us, yes. the creativity was really at an all-time high. Absolutely. So you endured the civil rights movement. You were there during, yes. and, and you witnessed that, and you were artists during the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. And talk a little bit about that experience, one, and then now with all of the things that are taking place, times are changing and it seems like things are very turbulent right now and how that has affected your work. Absolutely. Well, you know, one of my favorite sheroes, if you will, is Nikki Giovanni. And as I said, I always wrote poetry and, and most of mine was more personal, I think. And when I read Nikki Giovanni and people like Sonia Sanchez back in the 60s, and I, it, it's like, oh my God, I didn't know. A black woman could talk like that, you know, could speak her mind that way. So they were really, really very, very inspiring to me. And it was a shift in my writing because I think, I think my writing became stronger, that it, recognizing that it was that important to, to use this tool to speak, you know. <clears throat> I mentioned, I'll tell you a quick story. Actually, it's in here. It's in, in the introduction to this. This was actually the early 70s. I was in school, and I was home for the weekend, and my mother and I were driving along Irving Avenue, right by Marshall Street, and there was an old bar there that was called The Orange, and we, so it was a summer evening, we were driving, driving past, 
and we see a small crowd. So I'm nosy, my mother was nosy. <laughs> so we both look. It, there's this like semicircle of white males and lying on the ground with his head, his neck like, on, uh, his head is on the, on the top of the curb and his body's in the road. And there's this white guy who has his foot on this young black man's neck. And we saw that and the crowd is urging, break his neck, break his neck. My mother immediately slammed on the brakes and she said, come on. That's my mother saying, come on, I'm coming. So we both got out of the car. She ran to the back of the, the car, the trunk. She opened up the trunk and she, there was the, the crowbar thing. And then there's that other cross tire thing that you take the lug nuts out. She handed that to me and she had the other thing. She said, come on. And we walked into this crowd and my mother walked right up to the, to the boy who was laying there, a young man, not a boy. And she said, let him go, get off him, like that. And the guys looked at us like we were nuts. But my mother was like, get your foot, get off him. And she's, I mean, she's like getting ready to hit this guy with this crowbar. I'm going, oh my God, <laughs> you know. So the guy took his foot off the young man's, and, and my mother said, told, told the boy, come on, come on, get in the car. So we literally backed up away from this crowd, got into our car, and my mother drove off. He got in the front seat, I got in the back, and I'm sitting in, my mother laughs. And she says to the boy, boy, that was a close one. And I'm sitting in the back seat and I'm shaking like a leaf, you know, and, she's, and then she starts to lecture him to say, listen, you can't be up here, you know, by, by yourself because it's dangerous. And so she's lecturing him and she's asking him where he lives so she can give him a ride home. But in the back for me, I was like, okay, I want to serve my community, you know, the same way my mother does, but I can't, <laughs> I can't grab any crowbars. I can't do it that way. So my writing is my way of serving. That's my crowbar. That's your crowbar. You know? That's your crowbar. And so, so uh, I guess that's it. No, that's wonderful. I mean, and that's powerful. The, the other part of that, though, and I just want to remind those who are listening uh, that we're on 52 Conversations with B. Moore. My guest today is Jackie Warren Moore, and we're talking about her work as a poet. And I, I just want to continue the conversation by saying, you know, that, that's the level of activism. And, you know, oftentimes people are looking the other way. And what's your thoughts about how we turn that tide? Because so many times people will look away from that situation. Your mother, because of your mother's intervention, that young man's still alive because more than likely he would have died that day okay. if she hadn't intervened. You're right. Um, it's, you know, everybody has a role to play in, in, in a community. Every, I mean, everyone, people are good at different things. You know, some people are good at cooking. Some people are good at cleaning up. Some people, are, everyone has a role to play in, in the community. And back in the civil rights era, people were playing those roles. And they were playing their roles to the best of their ability. They were out marching and bringing attention to the issues. And that made a change in America. But I think we got so comfortable and more people started getting, some people got better jobs and got into college and things seemed like they were looking up. And then the pendulum has now swung the other way, okay? And we are in a very, very hostile world. I mean, all across the world, people are fighting and killing each other, you know? In our own communities, we are fighting and killing each other. And there's a meanness, there's a mean spirit. And one of the things that I'm hopeful about is there are groups of young people, people like Black Lives Matter, 
although I'd add to that, all lives matter. You know, um, young people who are seeing that they have to take back, you know, that position. We cannot slide back. We cannot let the meanness and the mean-spiritedness and the racism and the elitism, we can't let that get the best of ordinary people. We, the whole society, has come too far to let that happen. That's why I think we're seeing things like the Women's March. In other marches, people are pointing out, taking snapshots of the ugliness that's happening and saying, no, that we're not going to let that happen again. We are not going to slide into that, into that slime. We, we, we won't do that. And that's, that's hopeful. That's something that, that I think that is really, really positive. And I'm glad people are seeing it because we really have to really, really rail against it because it's, it's prevalent. And there was an incident at my daughter's job, my youngest daughter's job, with a woman, a, a Caucasian woman, telling, slapping something out of my daughter's hand and, and saying to her, we're taking our country back. Who are you taking it back from? It's our country, you know? And that kind of meanness, it's been festering for a long time underneath, and now it's like a volcano or something. It's just erupted. And if we don't address it, it will seriously tear this country apart. Sure. So, I mean, in, in, in response to all of this, one of the things you did was you wrote a poem. I'd love to hear that poem. Okay. All right. It's called, On the Occasion of the Passing of Civility. No, please. No, thank you. Excuse me. How can I help you? No eye contact beyond the cut of an eye, a sneer in the flip of the bird. We have lost each other. In a boiling sea of meanness and indifference, no kind words to connect us, no holding open the door, holding out a neighborly hand to steady us, no touch of comfort or healing. We hit and run, plunder and hide the mean spirit of our rage. We have lost touch in the crush of humanity, the bleeding sore of our greed. We have lost it, the soft shoulder to lean on, warmth of kindness, the healing of a simple smile, affirmation of a hello. We have lost it, watched it stumble wounded and moaning into the abyss. We have lost the meaning of civility, in remembrance, respect, and regret, let us reach out our hands once more and say simply, welcome. Very nice. Thank you. Very nice. So is there any of your works that you have that are more playful, more relaxed, and things that you like to do and just kind of get people in a mood, in a, in a you know, either brighter perspective? Well, there, there are two. One is kind of racy. And then there's one that I wrote for my husband that's uh, kind of funny. I'll read the racy one first. That's 36. It's called Ego Food. They say you are what you eat. I've been told my lady fingers are delightfully cinnamon. I cry pure rock candy crystals. My toes are perfectly formed Tootsie Rolls. If you squeeze my tongue, it pours mandarin orange juice. I bleed red licorice juju beads, and whole handfuls of my thighs are sponge cake. Almond joy flows from my chocolate mound breasts. The inside of my ears makes a raspberry jelly, and the column of my neck is a butterscotch lick. The walls of my womb drip pineapple juice in season. I sweat sugar water, and should you ever taste me, you'll know your sweet tooth has found a home. <laughs> 
I told you it was racy. <laughs> but that's this, nice. <laughs> this, this one, you, again, remember I, I said you take a snapshot of something that happened? That was how this poem was born. I was pregnant, and I love flowers, so we always have flowers all over our garden. And my husband, I bought a, a trillion flower bulbs, and I couldn't plant them because I was ready to deliver. And my husband was in our yard. He's planting the flower bulbs, and he's fussing with me, and he said, Jackie's digging into the earth, like, you know, plunging in. He said, Jackie, don't buy any more flower bulbs. I'm tired of planting flower bulbs. And he saw an earthworm. Now he's fussing, you know, but he picked it, he stopped, he picked the earthworm up and he just moved him out of the way. And he still went back to fussing and digging in the earth. Okay, so that's where this poem was born. And it's called Double Tape for Andy. The next time I can't bear the sight of you, when I'm really pissed off and fantasize about scratching, kicking, and biting out at you, when I feel at any moment I'm going to threaten to call Peter the divorce lawyer, when I smile nastily while thinking of packing your twos and fews and banishing you from my life, I'll take time to remember that sunny fall day, the way the moist earth clung to your callous fingers as you plunged into the earth to plant my flower bulbs, how you spoke friendly-like to the earthworm you disturbed, picked him up and moved him gently out of the path of your task. I'll remember that your big clunky gentleness was one of the first things that made me love you, I'll remember, and I'll smile. And that poem has gotten him out of trouble <laughs> a, no, a number of times. We've been married 37 years, so it's, you know, that poem served, or his earthworm served him well. <laughs> That's wonderful, though, that you're able to take those different aspects of, of just life yeah. and be able to translate that into you know, joy or pain and sorrow or uh, hope and, and reflection. All of those things just kind of come together in, in your work, and I, I enjoy it very much. Well, thank you very much. Again, that's what poems do. They're supposed to connect us. You know, everyone has a, an experience when they're mad at their husband or wife or whatever, and you hear and you recognize how human that is and, yes. and, and the connection with us all. Definitely, definitely. I know that you have numerous accolades and things that you've accomplished over and throughout your career and you know as, as an artist tell me about a couple of the things that you look towards the most that you, you you are most proud of in terms of your accomplishments well i've been very honored to get a number of awards and and those kind of things and of course that stuff is it's humbling it's humbling but it's also rewarding and saying you know people appreciate what you do, but the most satisfying things for me in what I've done over the course of, of, of my life is running into a young person or a not so young person who will say to me, Miss Jackie, you inspired me. You know, you told me I'm a good writer, you know, and that helped me go off to college and do this and do that. And I, I, I do prison work, you know, go, go do workshops in prison. And one day I was doing something at Syracuse University and my daughter had dropped me off, so I was, she was picking me up, so I was standing outside of one of the buildings. And this man comes by. He drives by and he sees me, he blows a horn. I don't know who it is, so I just wave back, you know. And he goes down the hill, and then he comes back, and he gets out of the car, and he takes, comes around the car, and he takes a little boy out of the car. And he takes a little boy's hand, and he crosses over the street where I am. And he said, Miss Jackie, 
I know you don't remember me, and I didn't, you know, and, and he said, but, I, and he mentioned the prison, I can't remember the name of the prison, but one of the prisons up north, they where I do the workshops, and he mentioned the prison, and he said, you came up there and you taught a poetry workshop, and you got me to write some poems, and I sent the poems home to the lady that, that, you know, that I was in love with, and it really helped our relationship and helped me figure out some of the stuff for me. He said, and I'm out now, I'm married, and he, I can't remember where he told me he worked, but he works, he had a good job, and he, he was raising a family and being a productive member of the society, of our community. And he said, you know, that I inspired him, that I helped make that change. That's the stuff that matters to me most. You know, awards, and that's, I mean, it's nice. You know, everybody likes to be, to be, you know, acknowledged. But that's the stuff that makes a difference to me. And it's amazing because just because I've been around so long, I, I've had the opportunity to work with a wide range of people. So I'll see somebody that I worked with who will just come up and remember me and remember that, you know, that, did we work together and, and, and connected again? It's all about the connection, human being to human being. That's wonderful. Speaking of connections, you know, just reflections that I think about, I'm going to share this experience with you. This is years ago, I think probably somewhere in 1980, maybe 86, I was down at Ithaca and I was with the woman who would one day become my wife and it was during the summer. And we were on the campus of Cornell University, mm -hmm. and the daughter of the person who was over the Africana Study Center, uh, I believe James Turner, uh, he was the director at the time, and there wasn't many students, and she invited us, because there was not many students at the time, uh -huh. to come to this dinner uh, in honor of her father. Mm -hmm. So we're sitting in the room. And I just want to name some of the names that was in the room. Uh -huh. Nikki Giovanni, uh -huh. Sonia Sanchez, mm. Sweet Honey in the Rock was singing. Oh, wow. Uh, Hadi Matabuti. Yes. Yes. And uh, let's see, Gwendolyn Brooks. Oh. You know, so just in this room of who's who of African-American literary greats. Oh, yes. And all reading their works. Wow. It was a night to oh, remember. Oh, absolutely. But I, I'm just here to say that you would have fit right in. I wish you had been there. Well, thank you very much for saying that. And if I can brag a little bit, I'm in several anthologies with Gwendolyn Brooks, Nikki Giovanni, Sonia Sanchez, Haki Madhagabudi, and, and, and Langston Hughes. And I'm honored to just to be in, in that company, you know, just to say I, I know their work and, and they recognize mine. Absolutely. Just, so, yeah, I, I, that had to be, oh, I'd have been on the floor. Oh, wow. Well, <laughs> I think if we had really realized that James Baldwin was in the room. Oh, wow. Still alive at the time, you know. Oh, it was just, it, it, was, it was incredible. It was, it was oh. such an incredible experience and so rich and yes. to, to just have stumbled upon... Yes all of that greatness in one space at one time. Wow. That amount of creativity. Oh, yes. You know, yes. just I mean, those, those, are incredible. The, those are the giants. <laughs> yes. <laughs> those are the giants, absolutely. I'm Definitely. glad you had that opportunity. Definitely. So let me ask you this as my final question. What would you say to any person who aspires to utilize writing as the tool to express themselves or to give themselves a voice. What would be your advice to that person? Write and share. Um, those are the two things. It's one thing to write 
It's another thing to share your writing with people because that's where the connections come. And these days there's more and more like poetry slams because writing and rapper, you know, they're the same except one has the, the, the music. Write, write your work and then share it with other people. You know, whether you're sharing it with, you know, <clears throat> intimate friends and family at first and then branch out and share because it's important that we hear from everyone. Everyone has a story. All of them are not pretty, you know, but all of them deserve to be told and, and examined because when, when you tell your story and allow it to be examined, other people can take a look at it and learn from it. Learn the mistakes not to make, learn the things to do to make your life better, and it makes a whole better community. When you can look at someone else's life, it's easier to point the finger, you know, and say, okay, I'm going to look at his life instead of looking at some of my own. But if I examine, if you write about your life and I examine and say, oh, wait a minute, he made this mistake, the same mistake I made yesterday, and this is how he, it either made him or broke him, you know, and how can I learn from my brother's mistake, you know, and, and, and then share that truth with somebody else. It makes for a better world. I think we are all here to help each other through this journey, you know, and sometimes that gets, not sometimes, a lot of the times, it gets forgotten that we're here, I believe, to help each other through life rather than, you know, trying to beat somebody out of money or cheat or steal or lie or, or hurt and, and harm. I believe love's the answer and, you, you know, spread it out and, and writing your writing, you can do that. Begin to share. Send it out to magazines if you, if you write stuff like poetry in, in plays. Send it out. Send, write a letter. If there's something going on, write a letter to the editor of the newspaper, you know, and make your voice heard in your own community because everybody matters and every voice matters. Definitely will. You have a new book out that was just released last fall. Um, how will people be able to get access to that book? Okay, they can go. It's called Where I Come From by Jackie Warren Moore, and it's available at Amazon.com or Nine Mile Press, N-I-N-E, Mile, M-I-L-E, Press.org. And it's only $12. You can order it. Wonderful. And if you're in Syracuse and you see me, stop me outside it. <laughs> well, thank you, Jackie, for being on my program. Well, thank you very much, Brian, for inviting me. I've enjoyed it. Jackie Warren Moore's book, Where I Come From, is available at Amazon.com as well as at NineMilePress.org. 52 Conversations is a production of More About You. Join us next time. you have a story you'd like to share? If so, contact More About You at 315-863-2466.